Welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Ben Goodley, how do you do? Doing all right. Just chilling, trying not to fall asleep with the beignets, but we got some coffee, uh, hit a few balls at the range. Now we're hanging out in the lovely neighborhood of the French Quarter. Uh, if you're listening to this episode, we're here to learn about a lot of things. One, um, what the contents of your brain was like on a march last year at TPC Sawgrass when you took part in the first breaking series uh, as our high handicap athlete playing from the back tees. Also, what life is like in New Orleans. Also, how many beignets can you eat before you fall asleep standing up. Also, um, what it's like to be... Um, a chef who you don't identify as a chef, though, so I don't understand where that is. So why don't we just start there, Benjamin Goodley? Uh, being I being called a chef is very uncomfortable because I am not professionally trained uh, culinary culinarily. So I never went to culinary school. I have never worked as a chef. I have not earned any income as a chef. So while I love to cook, while I have my food blog, while I have done some side businesses um, with food. I don't like to call myself a chef because I feel as though it disrespects people who actually are chefs and that is their career. You're kind of a uh, a threat as a chef because you're also really good at photography. So I've never actually tasted your food, but visually speaking, it's delicious. So one of the, one of the <laughs> biggest secrets is that sometimes the food that you see goes straight in the trash can. Whoa. It's, I've messed up some food to where it tasted absolutely <laughs> awful. <laughs> Looked great though for the pictures, but it was inedible. You were like, I okay, okay. Now I'm getting a fuller picture. Yeah, so Instagram I, isn't reality. So I use, <laughs> I, I if someone is listening to this who has listened to my podcast or listened to other stuff will know that I messed up a batch of biscuits about six years ago. Um, I swapped the baking powder and baking soda ingredients. So when you do when you swap those measurements, big deal. You have an extremely extremely tart biscuit. <laughs> That's extremely hard to eat. No matter how much fig jam you put on it, extremely hard to eat. The pictures were lovely. I just the biscuits were awful. I'm just thinking about. Um, I feel like JoJo, a good band name. We were talking about band names on the drive over here, and the band name we had was um, Milk Pool. That was a band name, and I'm kind of thinking Tart Biscuit could be a good band name. Tart biscuit with like a special tour on milk pool on the milk pool tour. <laughs> we were driving, so we did what eight hours on the road today, yeah. Ben. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, all and eight. Eric discovered something along the way. He had a revelation that all like tankers either carry gas or milk in them. Probably, yeah. There's only two liquids going in there. <laughs> I mean, there's some other tankers going around with some liquids you don't want to drink. I mean, <laughs> outside yeah. of gas, but those yeah. are the ones which go unfill yeah. in those porta pots. I think, yeah, maybe that's one way to pool it is like. One is flammable, and the other's um, milk from a cow. <laughs> flammable to some people's stomachs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's ironic is some people, when they drink the milk, they yeah they make uh, methane, yeah. which is flammable. It all is full circle. Um, you said something a moment ago that I didn't know about. You have a podcast. I do. Wait, I, I started a podcast. This. I've joined the podcast world. I uh, love this. <laughs> so yeah, I started a podcast about. I guess about three months ago now and something I've been thinking about doing for probably about three years now because I listen to a ton of podcasts uh, more than I listen to music it's especially when I do when I'm on the road I listen to a lot of podcasts and I love talking about food uh, outside of cooking food talking about food is one of my favorite things to do 
And so I would always, I always had this thought to do it. And I had talked to a few people about starting it with people, not doing it on my own. And after a few years of uh, not really gaining any ground, I just say, you know, I'm just going to do it on my own. Why, why wait any longer? It, the longer I wait, the more I'm just going to be mad at myself. Right. Well, I'm fucking proud of you. What's it called? It's the Food is Love Made Edible podcast. We're Wait, all the, of the eight. Food? We're all of eight edibles. Eight episodes in. What's it called? The food is what? Food is love made edible. Food is love made edible. So that's the name of my blog, and that is I came up with that name. I guess about six, seven years ago now. Okay. Just because the way that I look at food is that food is a way that I express that I care about someone. It's one of the ways that I express that I care about someone. Right. So if I'm cooking for you, it's if I'm cooking for you, I care about you in some way that um that I just I don't cook for just anyone. And so like from friends in college to my family now to my friends now, I think that we all have ways that we express our love to each other. Uh, some people do it through gifts, some people do it through acts of service and the other uh, whatever you call it. I can't think of the name of the um different acts of love. But one of my ways is by cooking for people. Words of affirmation. Yes, exactly. Let's ride. There you go. <laughs> not gifts. For me, yeah. uh, I actually, uh, I'm not going to say my love language. Okay. I have shame over my love language. Why? It's acts of service. What's wrong with that? Well, I came home from work last night and I was, Carla had made dinner. Okay. And I and I, she was like, what's it ready whenever you are? And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm sorry I'm late. I didn't leave until like, I don't know, 7.30. And I get home and she had set up this whole like picnic outside and we have these string lights in the back. So it was like really perfect night for it. But she knows that's what you like. No, I just found out last night. <laughs> because <laughs> of like, how much oh you appreciate it. I think my love language, because I said, if you had been like, hey, let's get some pizza. Also here, I bought you a cowboy hat. I would have been like, nah, whatever. Yeah. But like, because she spent time, I guess because for me, time is the thing that you cannot get yeah. around. So I know like if you're putting time into someone's thing, it's the most valuable thing you have. And maybe cooking is the same way. Yeah. And I think that if you look at cooking, it, it almost is an act of service. Because if I look at my, some of my strong, strongest memories as a child, some of the memories that I can still vividly remember, they are arriving at my grandparents' houses, whether it be my maternal or my paternal grandparents and my grandma on my dad's side or my grandmother on my mom's side always had a pot of food waiting for us on the stove because we lived about six and a half i guess about seven hours away and so they knew we were coming because we were coming from out of town and so there was always if it was my say my mom's mom there was always a pot of smothered okra chicken and sausage on the stove and if it was my dad's mom there's always a pot of smothered pork chops and i knew as soon as i walked in the house the pot would be hot it'd be ready it didn't matter if it was nine o'clock at night they would be heating it back up for us first eat as soon as we got there and that's why those two dishes are two dishes that are still, they make an emotional impact on me now, even when I cook them for my family now. And I cook them for my daughter. And so she gets to experience the same flavors um, that I prepare for her in the same way that I got to experience them for my grandparents. I really want to dig into that, but I just realized what's happening. The, I think it's so obvious, but we had all the beignets at Cafe Du Monde. And I think I'm, I think I'm having like a withdrawal from. Uh, I mean, that must have been a lot of sugar. I don't really eat a lot of sugar. <laughs> I'm sorry to just. It's a beautiful thing you just said yeah, about okay. like the chicken and the sausage and the traveling and your daughter and. 
and you're sinking into and the I'm couch. And I'm just having a sugar <laughs> crash. I'm so sorry, dude. Ben, I, I, can I ask you something? Yeah. How does love language work? I actually don't get it. Like your love language, you said was <laughs> was was something happening to you. No, and, no, it's uh, it's it's basically how you want to have love given to you. But Ben's Ben's is doing it for other people. Well, no. So there are ways that I didn't think we were going to go here. So, so there there are the five love languages, and so there are, there are ways that are more comfortable for you to give love. There are also the ways that you receive love better. And so in a relationship, what you what you're supposed to, I guess, quote unquote, supposed to do is discuss each other's love languages to where your partner, your partner tells you how they best receive love. You tell them how you can best give love and then you find a marriage in there to where both people feel adequately that they're adequately receiving love from each other and that each other can adequately give love in the way that's most comfortable to them. And so through, through counseling, my wife and I have realized how the, not the, the ways that I necessarily express love maybe don't ideally match up with the ways that she needs to receive love, but we can work together to say, make them work together in a way that's beneficial for both parties. Wow, it's like a probably plug. should have someone else besides me on the podcast discussing. No, you this. nailed that. I mean, yeah. that's what I understand. I feel like I have that. I wish I had that with my golf game. Like <laughs> I want, I want gifts from my golf game, gifts, and then yeah. I want to show that. <laughs> but instead, it's just service. an act of service. Yeah, yeah. It's just all service. You just show up and give, and it doesn't give back. No, it gives back in a lot of ways. All the time. Well, well, then there's the question of how do you best receive joy from your golf game. What's the most what's the most joy that you get out of of the of golf? Is it a bomb drive down the middle of the fairway? Is it a long iron shot that hits the green? Is it sinking a long putt? What is the what's the way that you bring that you get the most joy out of the game? Sorry, we're just in a uh Airbnb under the uh <laughs> 10 freeway. So <laughs> uh, that'll happen twice more. Yeah. I like your question. What do you say, Jojo? Always the scramble play. Mm, you know? That's the one that really makes you feel whole. And honestly, in, in both ways, like one, you know, getting up and down from a tough spot, but also playing with a partner and really rooting for them for success. Those, those are my favorite rounds of golf. Yeah. So for me, at first, it was the long drive because everybody wants to hit it far. Girl, girls love the long ball. So do boys. <laughs> oh, yep. <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> and so if we if we look at now, I much more appreciate say a wedge or an iron shot that hits the green the way exactly where I wanted it to land. That now brings me a lot more joy than say the long drive because there's plenty of drives that I've hit to where the end result wasn't say positive. But at least on those iron and wedge shots, that's what that's what bring, again brings me the most joy now. Yeah. And I digress. You, Eric? Right now it's putting. I mean, I saw you pl- putt we, last week. I, I see why. We made a few putts. Yeah. Franz, I've been working with this guy, Francis, in Austin. Okay. Um, he was on MasterChef. I'm just saying. I'm just saying there's a connection here. Um, we're going to start actually making some videos together. He caddied actually for the break 90 at Austin country club before okay. the Dell match play. And, um, 
Yeah, we went through a whole putting routine before. Awesome. And part part of me was kind of like, uh, 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 this is annoying. But yeah, I was like, I was like, honestly, what was going through my head? This is, maybe you'll relate to this. I was like, um, this is a waste of time. This is a waste of your time. <laughs> this is a waste of my time. And we were practicing, like legitimately practicing. This is kind of hopeless. I know. But uh, I sank probably. What? How long was that putt? Well, you sank one that was like 35 feet. 35 feet. Yeah. For birdie. Yeah. Fucking sick. So, you know, we're good. I mean, he also was reading every <laughs> We're putt. done now. We, we, <laughs> yeah. love, my love language is moving on. <laughs> you know, so the, the, what are the other four? There's, there's acts of service, words of affirmation, gift giving, yeah. oh, and quality time. Wow. Look at that. He, right? Eric is right. faster than Google. <laughs> <laughs> I just know books that have four chapters. The four agreements and, gotcha. the, and love languages. Google says physical touch is the fifth. Ooh, oh, there's five. Yeah. I forgot that one. Yeah, we, we none of us have that, I guess. We haven't not, been we physically touching that. today, Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but how does that relate to golf? I don't I don't I don't think there's a is there a golf parallel? Like is direct there? golf parallel for love languages? Yeah, I don't think there is. Probably not. What is your love language, though, for real? Like, what do you want to get? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm also a cook. Oh, okay. Like in a lot of ways, and what do you mean, in, in a lot, lot of ways, ways? <laughs> in that in are that you I to eat. Tell me you make meth. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I I I love cooking for people, yeah. and I love in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. This is the, the beignets that was all messed up. Yeah, that didn't even make any sense. <laughs> I, I also love cooking. <laughs> you either cook I just or you don't. You, I just want y'all to know I love cooking too. Like, yeah, Ben likes cooking, but I love cooking too. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's. I like cooking a lot. I don't love it. Yeah. I think I give, I love giving gifts and I love receiving acts of service. Probably. Yeah. See, I'm receiving gifts and I always feel shallow, but at the end of the day, <laughs> I like okay. receiving gifts. But isn't it so nice when someone picks you up from the airport? Like, and you don't have to ask. And they're just like, hey, I just want to grab you. If they're in a good mood, it's nice. But if they're not in a good mood, I'd rather just get an Uber. Let's just walk home. <laughs> That's why I don't like anyone picking me up from the airport. I never, like, tell my wife, like, oh, you want me to grab you? Nope. I'll catch an Uber because yeah, I know the drive from, from our house to the airport. And by the time she makes it to the airport, she's not going to be in a good mood. Well, just with Austin Airport, you know what I've been noticing? Because you can park your car there. So I just, like, I just walk out and go to my car. You pick yourself up from the airport. <laughs> I've also dropped myself off from the airport. <laughs> kind of sad when you put it like that. How good, of a mood are, how good of a mood are you in when you pick yourself up from the airport? Yeah, I mean, usually it's pretty like fulfilling, you know, because uh, you're giving yourself acts of service. <laughs> a bit of a gift. <laughs> Maybe a little physical touch there. Physical touch. I mean, you know, if the parking lot's empty and then... <laughs> has gone off the rails <laughs> let's talk about new orleans we've been walking around new orleans for four hours five hours and i guess you know if you're listening to this podcast and you live in new orleans <laughs> you may learn something but if you don't live in new orleans you may know more than me if you live here let's be honest anything's possible but <laughs> <laughs> but i mean if people have never been in new orleans or don't know anything about it. I guess w let's go around the room one at a time. Ben, what is the thing that they need to know? Like what, what, what do you, 
what is the thing that for you is the you know asterisk? New Orleans is more than Bourbon Street. It is more than Mardi Gras. It's more than Bourbon Street. If you've never been to New Orleans, Mardi Gras is the absolute worst time to come to New Orleans for the first time, unless you really want to just do Mardi Gras. But New Orleans is, it's an amazing city where there is a lot of culture downtown. So you can see as much culture as you want to. You cannot see as much culture as you want to. So if you just want to come down and have a three, have a weekend bender and party on Bourbon Street from sunup to sundown, completely within your right to do that. But you can come to New Orleans and see a lot of history. I mean, the city is 302 years old. We had a 300-year anniversary a couple years ago. So with that, and with it being... Sorry, can we just zoom out? Can you tell me how many cities are 300 fucking years old? In America? Right? Is there, is there like two? I, I couldn't... I mean, I have to assume Charleston, Savannah. St. Augustine, 1565. Oh, okay. Which makes sense, because they, they came up southwest when the Spanish conquistadors. Yeah. Mm. Um, I can tell you that my hometown in Mansfield, Connecticut was 1702, which is weird. That's what like year is it right now? <laughs> so that'd be 320 years? Three, that, that's the one? Yeah. <laughs> I legit thought, I was like, I was having a hard time, and I was like, maybe it's 2122? Yeah. Is it 2022? I you lost know, 100 years. Those beignets have messed you up. Dude, it's all that powdered sugar, man. St. <laughs> Augustine, Florida, 1565. Okay. And then you have Plymouth, Massachusetts, that, that sweet, sweet 1620. So, Wow, another hundred years, and then we uh, and then we drop in here just eighty years later at yeah. seventeen hundred. Yep, seventeen eighteen. Seventeen eighteen. So sorry. No, so you were talking it, about history. Yeah, so if you look at obviously, so New Orleans has a lot of people tie New Orleans with the French, and yes, the French were here for quite a while, but it's, there's also a lot of Spanish influence. So when you go and you see the architecture, it's a blend of French and Spanish from the say the seventeen and eighteen hundreds, and so. When you go through the French Quarter, which a lot, of, which is where a lot of people stay when they come to visit, you'll see that the a lot of the buildings are that very old French and Spanish style. And the reason for that is the you're not allowed to change the architecture of homes in the French Quarter. Oh, so legally. if you buy a home, you're not allowed to change the outside of the house. I think that's cool. And yeah, so that's you'll see good. houses. So you'll walk past houses that look dingy. Those houses are not dingy inside. Right. Uh, but that is because they want to keep the character of the French Quarter because that is part of the, say, the allure of New Orleans is the old French and Spanish architecture. Yeah. And so when you look at, say, coming and visiting New Orleans, there are – New Orleans is comprised of a number of neighborhoods um, or, as they're called here, wards. And so when Why you – Why do they call them wards? I couldn't tell you. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> we've, got, we've got that's why we connect to wi-fi before so we are currently in the seventh ward is the ward okay. that we're currently we're currently sitting in and so inside of that we're in the french quarter just near us is mid-city um to the other direction is treme okay treme is one of the oldest neighborhoods um you'll see a lot of musicians grew up in treme um, you also have a neighborhood near here called Bywater. Bywater, it's a lot of, again, musicians. A lot of chefs live in Bywater. Um, it's a big foodie scene in Bywater. So there's a lot of restaurants that, a lot of restaurants there. Uh, then you'll also see, and so downtown is made up of three neighborhoods, the French Quarter, Warehouse District, and Central Business District. Okay. Um, outside of, say, French Quarter, Warehouse District is a very interesting place to go and see. 
There's nothing in CBD worth people seeing. It's just the Superdome. Right. So what, 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 where's the Ward origin? Uh, you're going you're gonna to love it. You're going to get it, too, immediately. Ward, warden. Prison? No. Person warden. who watches over. Old English word for a person who watches over a group of people. So like a warden doesn't necessarily have to be a person. So it'd be warden. almost like a city council person. Yeah, like, uh, but more feudal. So like you'd have someone who watches over a plot of land. So the ninth ward was all an area managed by one person? Yeah, they were usually electoral districts. Oh, cool. So I believe New Orleans has 17 of them. Yes. 17. And so ninth ward is, say, east of us currently on the other side of Bywater. And so a lot of people know the ninth ward because when Katrina hit, that's one of the areas that was hardest hit by Katrina when the levees failed. Right. And were you here for that? I was not. So I moved to New Orleans in 2014 oh, okay. after college. So I chased the oil and gas money out, out of college, and I came down here and have been uh, dealing with that ever since. Is that the primary industry, or what's, like, number one? Uh, there's a lot of oil and gas we're finding here. Uh, New Orleans, there's a lot of medical as well. Um, both, uh, you have three medical schools in New Orleans. Uh, you have two dental schools in New Orleans, so you have a lot of that. Then you just also have a lot of business and finance. Right. A lot of business and finance for the state of Louisiana runs out of New Orleans. Okay. And then, and then a massive tourist oh, industry as well. Tourism, okay, yeah, of course. Of tourism course. is probably the biggest industry in New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, okay, well, we can we can touch on that later. As far as golf goes, like there are, um, is is very simply is New Orleans a good golf destination? No, why not? There aren't many courses that are anything different than you have at home. Interesting. There are very few courses that you would travel to New Orleans to play. It's almost more of a, if we're going to be here for a bachelor party for five days, yeah, let's go play golf for a day so we're not, so we have something to do other than being being on Bourbon Street. Um, It's something, I would never see someone coming here specifically to golf but golf would be something I know people do when they're coming here to go and do something. Right. That's so interesting. And what's funny is when you first said it, I got a little sad. <laughs> right. Cause we're, we're here, here to golf. Yeah. We're here to golf. <laughs> we're filming a show about golf. <laughs> um, but then I was kind of like, fuck yeah. Cause golf is uh, not spectacular. It's right? just Gol- golf is an exercise. It's an activity. It's a religion. It's a, you don't you don't need to have a special church to make it the one you go to every Sunday. Yeah, and that's where there are plenty of pure golf destinations to go to. Yeah, and that's where we spend most of. For me, like I'm almost spoiled with the special. Yeah. yeah, and so I always say there is some very fun golf in New Orleans. And yes, could you could you plan a golf trip to New Orleans? Yes, you could. But you would, in the same breath, be also planning a culinary trip or a historical trip at the same time. It's not just a golf trip. It's a golf trip that has other attachments to where golf is not what you're doing from sunup to sundown. At the same time, we just came from this this little dinky range, right? Hey, in don't, city. don't call the range little and dinky. All right, so what, what would you say, like 25 bays, 30 you're bays? You're about to get kicked out of New Orleans by none other. It's a very average, it's a very average range with Mads. And, and we just went and hit there for sunset. And what, we hit one bucket between the three of us. Yeah. And Eric, you've had, I don't know how many golf experiences. And how many times were you like, wow, this is this is awesome. Tonight, this is paradise. It was special, yeah. It was special. I mean, 
there's so many things, right? Like <clears throat> the particular color of the sun, you know, the feeling of kind of the air on your skin tonight, yeah. specifically the it's temperature. Per- it's perfect weather. Yeah. The smell of the grass. I mean, you know, it's it's still early March, but for us down here, New Orleans on the Gulf of Mexico, maybe feels like spring. Yeah. You know, and then it's like camaraderie. It's like getting back on the road. It's like trying something new. Like, yeah, I don't know. The driving range is that place where, um, you know, you don't you don't really come away with a judgment about yourself or about the game or about anything. You've kind of just been free for a little bit. And there's also thing about just going and getting a six dollar bucket of balls and just hitting a few balls without a care in the world versus paying who know however much for a round of golf and then the more the round of golf costs the more worried you are if you don't play well because i paid all this money now i'm not even playing well so i have a question so um the driving range is unique what is the cooking equivalent is there like practice cooking i mean you're always and that's where cooking and golf i think are similar because they're both continuous activities that no golf swing is going to is going to be ever be the same i have made more ruse than i could ever think of and so a roux is the base of i was gonna I say know. you need to describe <laughs> i saw you raise the mark so a roux is a base for the most common dish that everyone's heard of is gumbo so you start a gumbo by cooking a roux i've made Hundreds of roots in my life. You gotta life. just. You, I need just a uh, seconds on the roof. Fla- it's um flour and oil. I mean, I've made one, but yeah. I need you know just yeah, for the people one, who I may not know. For so a, yeah, for the people who may not know, yeah, including so, me. So I can always know better. A roux is a flour and oil. I use a one to two ratio, um, in the way that I do it. So two parts flour, one part oil, and I use Crisco. I use Crisco because. My mom used Crisco because my grandmother used Crisco. Probably before her, somebody used Crisco. Some people think that's not the right way to go, but you know what? That's what I saw in my house, yeah. so that's what I did. They can go fucking eat elsewhere. Yeah, they can use their butter, and if I'm being fancy, I'll use duck fat. And so, basically, with, to make a roux, you melt your oil in a hot pan in a hot pot, and then you add your flour and you stir it continuously for 15 to 20 minutes till it gets to a kind of chocolate brown color. Okay. Let me just, let me, you, you might have not been listening to what Ben just said. You literally stir a very hot pan with oil and continuously add flour for 20 minutes. This is why you'll hear people say gumbo weather and gumbo weather is when it's 50 and below because cooking gumbo is extremely hot (laughs) and it warms you up. Yes. Oh, it's a dual purpose. Yes. I love that. That's kind of like acts of service and gift giving. <laughs> it's kind of like being on the range. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and I, say, I love this. And I say they're similar in those in those aspects because I'm always learning when I'm cooking because I'm always experimenting when I'm cooking. Um, maybe not every single meal, but there are going to be times where I'm working on a new recipe or I'm changing something up or I'm using a new ingredient where I'm trying to say, learn a new technique um, to maybe just make a meal for my family or something for my blog or something I'm working on with some friends for some work that I'm doing. And at the same time with golf, sometimes I'm going to the range just to, I just want to hit balls just to clear my mind and just, I don't even care where the ball's going. I'm just there for 30 minutes to clear my mind, get a little bit of quote unquote exercise if I can call it that, where other times I'm on the range, I'm trying to find something. 
Have I ever found it? No, but I'm trying to find something. And so that's where it's really with anything in life, it's what do you want to get out of it? And so if we look at, if we want to go to Sawgrass and we want to get there to about a year or so ago, when you sent me the invitation, of course I accepted because who doesn't want to play Sawgrass? I mean, it's, it's on a lot of people's bucket list on mine, on mine as well. And then after, after we arranged that I was going to come, I remember getting on the flight on that, the flight would have been Sunday and I started to think, okay, I started to get nervous all of a sudden of like, what did I get myself into? And then it was, well, what do I want to get out of this? What, what, mm. what do I want to get out of this experience that I'm going to get that not many people are ever going to have the chance to get? And what came to mind? Well, I was waiting for you to ask that question. <laughs> this uh yeah this is going well this is great i'm, I'm glad i was able to help eric was like that 65 mile per hour slow ball down the middle <laughs> yeah. do i swing <laughs> <laughs> what i really was thinking about is i want to hear I, I want we have to um you know real maybe real briefly we should pull just some of ben's like best one-liners from the show wow did I have one-liners in yeah. the show? Yeah, no, you had some great oh, ones. Oh, gosh. We should just, let's just go. I know, Tom, I know Tom was giving off one-liners. I didn't know if I had one-liners. Yeah. You and Tom know both, all three of you, Joe. I can't wait to see him tomorrow. Yeah. Um. Anyway, maybe we can, you know, why don't we Why don't we go quickly to a um an ad for a minute? It's been, uh, it's been 30 minutes. Judge, it's been 30 minutes. That's what I'm saying. What's going on, let's, man? Let's go sell the pod. We got to go do an ad. Um. Whoever the ad is with, just know that we love them. Like, we deeply love them. Oh, so much. And when we come back, uh, listener questions. We're going to do listener listener questions. But most importantly, we're going to hear what Ben was manifesting on the flight. All right, folks. Policy genius with a lowercase g. If someone relies on your financial support, whether a child, aging parent, or a golf buddy, you need life insurance. Okay, so Policy Genius is your one-stop shop to find and buy the insurance you need. Head over to policygeniuswithlowercaseg.com and answer a few questions. And in minutes, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find the lowest price. You could save 50% or more on your life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius Lowercase G. The team of licensed experts at Policy Genius Lowercase G will help you understand your options and apply for the policy that you choose for your life. Policy Genius team, lowercase g, works for you, not the insurance companies. You can trust them with your life to offer insurance, uh, unbiased help, and advocate for you at every step until you're covered. So head over to policy, lowercase g, genius.com, and get the info you need for your life, because uh, you never know when that golf ball, never mind. All right, folks, Decade Golf, my guy, Scott Fawcett, Started Moneyball for Golf. Here's the thing. We've been making some content with Scott, and I want to be super transparent with you about this ad because I really believe in what Scott's doing. He was just at the MIT Sloan, I don't know what it's called, doing some type of talk along with Gary Vee and Malcolm Gladwell about why Decade Golf is important for sport. Um, the guy was a gambling addict. I'm not sure if he's a gambling addict, but he was a good gambler, pro, pro gambler. Decided to use his strategy and static, static, statistic, statistical advice on how to play golf better. Uh, Joe Hooks has been using Decade, and he feels that it is. Um, so here's a quote from him: "Decade is so much more than what people simply say they hear about it. 
I've revamped what I consider to be course management. It has helped me change my mindset more than anything. And that holds so much more value than simply my old stats portal. So head over to decade.golf. That's decade.golf, not .com, folks. Get it right. We're in a new era. Everything's a .golf boom. Uh, so go to decade.golf and Scott will get your game right. And you know who's going to thank you? Your fucking game. I like Scott. I like Decade. I think you like him too. So head over to decade.golf. Cool. So what were you manifesting on the flight? Welcome back to the show, everybody. I feel completely the same as when we left for the break. How how much do you love that sponsor you just heard? Honestly, I I love them maybe even more than the read had suggested. <laughs> it was wonderful. First hand, I can tell you it was wonderful. JoJo's dying. Why is that so funny? Why is that so funny? Because who knows what the read's gonna sound like. <laughs> we haven't read it yet. Cute quick secret, y'all. I just pressed pause and nothing changed over here. We basically created a bookend in time and we're going to go back in time later and insert something that hasn't even been recorded yet. We couldn't even Ben's like, Y'all are fucking high. Hi, I'm Ben Yates. I had 21 years sober on Monday. I'm not high. Ben, congratulations. We, thank you, man. I appreciate it. That, that's a, what you call it. That's a an adult year, a big year, 21 years. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy because I actually um, never have had a legal drink. I was about to say, you were 20, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's a little crazy. I've I've been sober longer than I was. I don't know how to do this math. You've been sober for a longer period of time than who you were when you decided well, to be sober. Yeah, you nailed that. Yeah. You brought that one home. So you're on the plane to Sawgrass, yeah. Ben. You're playing in Breaking Sawgrass. It's yeah. the series. If you haven't seen it, go to Random Golf Club Films YouTube channel. It's a four-part series where we basically follow our happy... My ugly mug. My... <laughs> We, we, we follow three golfers through their experience of playing a really challenging Pete Dye course from the very back tees, the day after the players, Ben being one of them. Um, what was the manifestation? What did you, you said just before the break, I, I realized that I could choose what I get out of this experience. What was it? What were you looking for? I just wanted to appreciate it. Yeah. I wanted to appreciate the moment appreciate the experience appreciate the people i was going to be i was going to be with didn't know who i was going to be playing with up until we were we met in the hotel room several of us um that sunday evening when i got in town everybody else got in town and i'm sitting there haven't seen anybody yet all of a sudden i'm just like mr coin and because i know, know tom coin follow him on instagram oh, i didn't tell you he was coming no and you, had, i had no idea who you was knew who be. he was yeah, I knew who well, he you're was. You're a fan I, of Golfer's Journal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, of course. And I knew who he was, and I know of his book and everything. And so I didn't know if he was actually going to be in the series or if he just happened to be staying in the hotel because he was there for the players. And then he walks in the same room. I was like, oh. You called him Mr. Coin? I know. He That's because you're a God. Southern guy. And he looked at me like, nobody's called me that in a while. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just I can't help myself it's, that's just the southern boy of me anybody who's my senior is Mr. is Mr. so yeah. uh, then met Joe and then again those same kind of nerves happened that morning at the course and again I reminded myself that look 
yes, we have a number we're trying to break. At the end of the day, none of that matters. We're going to enjoy this on this immaculate golf course that I have no business playing. Um, and that's what I that's what I did. And that's what I think that I did. And I hope that for anyone who has seen the series, I hope that's the, say, the or the essence that I gave off and the vibe that I gave off that I was enjoying myself and I wasn't frustrated with the score. Yeah. I mean, your attitude was you win best attitude score. That's all we can do. That's all we could hope for. Yeah. Do you, do you wish you hadn't been playing from the back tees? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you just get that out Absolutely. Of I don't like it either. Well, and so here's the only caveat to that. Had I shot the same score from my actual yardage, <laughs> yeah. then I would have felt really bad about myself. Yeah. I could at oh, least yeah. say. <laughs> so I guess you go all the way back and it's just like you don't even I'm not supposed to play good. Yeah. No, but yeah. I, I do remember like the when we finished that when we finished playing it, man, that was, that was a long round, but immediately like wanting to go back out there and play from my distances. Nasty. Like immediate, like as soon as we finished, I remember being like, how many hours of sunlight do I have left? <laughs> Is there any, like I'll pay for it. Like I'll pay for it. I don't care. Like, can I go out and just, I'll carry my own bag. Did they let you or did you ask? I was the, the exhaustion that I felt <laughs> made me realize Wait, that cause you guys walked also. Yes, we walked. <laughs> My whoop was like a 21 point something. <laughs> it was cra- It's like it goes to 20 and you're like, I'm dead. I'm dying. I'm dead. It's my like that feet, cop. My feet were swollen. It was, <laughs> it was a long day. That was the only thing that kept, but I really considered like going back out immediately playing right. from my distances. Yeah. That's how you know you're just fucking addicted to golf, you know? And I just like, I'm so ready to go back. Yeah, because I just I want to play from my distance and see what I would and be able to hit my shots. Is this because you want to go back as is this now a bucket list experience or is this borderline like obsessive? Like, is this is this a challenge for Ben? Well, I am obsessive. I'm a naturally obsessive person. And I do. I feel like I left a lot on the table and I feel (laughs) A lot, a lot of shots on the table. I mean, what did you shoot? What did you shoot? I honestly don't. I honestly don't know. Like I've never. So so here's it. No, please don't. I'm sorry, man. Please don't, JoJo. Come on. So so I so if we look at say the if we look at the YouTube series, (laughs) I have watched bits and pieces here and there. But you haven't watched the whole thing. No, I haven't watched the whole thing. You have or you haven't watched the whole thing. I have not. Why not? Because I know how bad it is. It's not that bad. Come on, you know what you shot. I, can I guess first? Um, okay, yeah, you can guess. One forty-three. Visually, very close, uh, but you're, but but not it. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, we don't need to get specific with anyone out there. One forty-eight. I don't know what are we doing here. They they've seen the video. You're listening. You've seen the video. Yeah. No. And so I've I've never actually watched the whole series. Yeah. Because it's. I mean, yeah. As much as I, as much as yeah, I'm the high handicapper. <laughs> it's still embarrassing. Like it's still embarrassing Aww. to have your top shots. Yeah. Your top shots into the water. Yeah. And then when and then you're what you call it, I'm finally hit a green in nine. It's still embarrassing to have that on YouTube for a lot of people to see. Yeah. As much as all of us say that, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
Well, it's still not the best feeling in the world. I don't watch uh, Breaking Breaking Ninety at Pebble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yep. top my first shot, goes ten feet, and yeah. I'm just like, to be one oh, of those. Days. I wish I could just. I wish that I wish I was the kind of person that could just be like, I'm starting this over and I'm controlling the edit. Yep. But you know, yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm. Well, I hope you don't. You don't seem like you're upset with me. Are you? I would feel so bad if you felt like I put you in a position. No, that, no, no. no. Um, I guess there's no way to really tell someone. It's kind of like, um, <clears throat> you know, like I guess I don't have any children, but like your child, right? You're like, uh, I cannot properly prepare you for this world. Yeah, <laughs> just like no, I can't was... really prepare you for so... being a a, mo- a mediocre golfer on camera. It's very hard. No, so if I look at if I look at the entirety of the day. There's only one moment where I really got low, like yeah. really got low. Yeah. And again, I don't know if that moment was on the video because I know that moment's there. So I have specifically made sure not to watch that part of the video. What hole is it on? Ten. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Simon, you remember it? I'm, I'm sorry. You because there. Did it make for- it in the video? The moment that he refers to? I haven't watched the video either, but I do remember lots. You haven't of watched the episodes shots. of Breaking Sawgrass? I, I lived it, and and I and I say that because, and I felt low because that was the first moment where I really I felt like I was letting everyone around me down. Right. I want to I want to give you something that might pick your spirits up though. Um, th- hole ten. Yeah. That according to YouTube is the most viewed portion of that whole video well that's also the whole where i made the par on 12 there you go i remember that i've watched that whole many a time i have not watched the whole 10 and so because if we look at what happened on 10 so i think left in the water off the tee right into the trees we punch out into a bunker we can't get out of the bunker then we blade one over the bunker into the back and at that point i was on 14 not hole 14, shot 14. <laughs> Just for clarification. Yeah, well, <laughs> and I remember in that moment, it was Simon, and I can't remember who else was with me. Simon, you may remember who was with me. I can't remember who was with me. And I just remember being like, if I was not on camera, I would be picking this ball up and moving on to the next hole. For sure. And I felt obligated to continue because of what we're trying to do. Like, we're supposed to count every single shot. But I knew there was no way I was going to get that ball out of the trees behind the green with a green that slopes away from me. So that ball's probably going to go into the bunker again that I just played it out from. And then we'd be back back where we were. And I remember I picked my ball up and felt like an absolute just – piece of crap you picked your ball up because i didn't want to slow the group down anymore oh okay okay you picked up after 15 uh 14 yes shots yes and then on the next hole i parred yeah so well first of all i really respect first of all i respect your honesty second of all i respect you know you're you're like forthcoming yeah and then also like yeah it's not easy i I frequently don't like it. Yeah. You know, going out there and um, essentially like 
revealing every shot. Yeah. And then the, I'm just laughing, and I'm not laughing at you because there is a feeling like, <laughs> have you been to the theme park? Um, you know how when you get <laughs> uh, on a roller coaster, mm-hmm. uh, you can't get off. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's your story of 10. And that was I've had the, it. That was the first moment where, like, that was the first moment of that day where I really was like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I really just want this to end. And and I remember, like, Tom and Joe both were just like, dude, like, this doesn't matter. Yeah. And, like, all the production crew and everybody was all just like, dude, like, none of this matters. Yeah. Like, just take, take, a, take a breath and, like, don't worry about it. So, so my question really is zooming out, right? Like there's a lot of things that you can say, and we ask people to chime in with questions yeah. on Instagram and whatnot. A lot of questions, whatever. Yeah. The, the real question I have is like specifically that experience that what it sounds like is a, is a, is like a peak or a Valley experience, like the most extreme of either way that, that moment, that moment right there, like, do you look back on it? And how has your like perception of that moment changed since that day? We say the moment, the moment in that particular time on hole number 10 or the moment as far as the entire sawgrass, that moment on 10 of just being like, I don't want to be here. Like, like has that, have you reframed that moment or has that moment reframed something for you since then? I don't think it's reframed anything. It reiterates what I know about myself in that, I can, I don't like being embarrassed. Mm. Like I, shame is the worst thing for me. And in that moment, I felt great shame because in that moment, I was exactly who I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be the high handicapper who's there for us to all laugh at. Not, well, that's, no, ex- not well, really. Well, maybe, I guess, I mean, that, that well, I guess, that, I guess that, that's, I, well, I guess that's how I felt. Right. I felt in that moment that I'm not supposed to be here and this that was the moment where i really felt really low and thankfully i had a good group of people around me who were able to support me in that moment and be like hey like it doesn't matter like none yeah. of this matters at the end of the day and if i look back on it now and like what i said earlier i would have never been in that position if i was playing on my own or if i was just playing with my buddies cuz sure. i would just pick the ball up it would have never even we wouldn't have got to ten shots. Yeah. By that point, I would pick the ball up and went. But if I look at say how I felt in that moment, I probably wouldn't have allowed the production of everything to affect me so much. Uh, I yeah. probably would have allowed myself just to play golf outside of all the cameras and everything that was going around me and this idea of the breaking series. Yeah. I would have just played golf with some people and just there happened to be some stuff going on around me. <laughs> yeah. Which the, the half a million people are going to know about. Which is it's ridiculous. Easy, it's a lot easier said than done. It's and, ridiculous. And I, and I could say all this. Yeah. And if I was to shoot another video series in the future, <laughs> All of what I'm saying now is going to go right out the window. Yeah, same here. <laughs> because same it's here. once again, man, people are going to see that top shot I just hit. Yeah. It's so interesting because, um, well, first of all, I don't think I really realized those things. And I'm sorry that um, no, you felt that way. But you don't, it, you don't need to apologize because it's, 
until until something's experienced, you can never know what's going to happen. And it's not that anything was done out of ill will. And no one on none of the production team did anything out of ill will. It was a more so internal pressure of me feeling like I can't pick this ball up because we're here to do this thing. Yeah. And I remember talking to production like I know and like to the point to where like I was almost like I was getting emotional. Like I know we're supposed to be doing this. Yeah. But like if I don't pick this ball up. I'm not going to be able to make it through the rest of the like yeah. make it through the rest of the course. Have I sent you the? Have you watched the break ninety from Pebble? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm in. Ironically, my tenth hole. Yeah. Of that round, I was like, "Fuck this." Yeah. I literally looked at the camera and I was like, "I'm never doing this again." And um, you know, of course, <laughs> when six hundred thousand people say that you should do something again, yeah. you do. Yeah. And so we did. Um. But yeah, no. First of all, you weren't. Yeah, it was. It wasn't aimed at having you uh, feel embarrassed. So I'm sorry that that happened. No, and that, and a lot of that is just everyone operates differently. Yeah, and everyone everyone can handle a situation differently. Yeah, where and that was just, that was one of those moments where. Like, I'm not going to be someone who throws the club, but I'm going to be someone who just gets so defeated. Their shoulders just shrink. Sure. And they just want to, like, what's the Snickers commercial? Want to get away? Like, just want (laughs) to. I want it to be anywhere but there in that moment. You know, I think, I mean, this is not unique to Ben. I mean, clearly the, the acuteness, the, the, the size and the immediacy and the truly locked in sense. You're right. You would have picked up at triple or quad yeah. and you'd be like, cool, moving on. But, but the idea that you didn't, first of all, is something that I real, I think that for me is really special. I, I told this story once and I can, I'll send you the video. I don't know if you ever saw it. I think I made a little video of it or something, but like we were at Western Gales. I birdied number one. I was fucking stoked. This mm-hmm. little course in Scotland. I had no idea what to expect. Number two, par. Number three, par. Number four, I'm thinking I'm going to make a birdie because it's downwind and it's a short par five. Um, well, I didn't, and I just kept hitting the ball because like the ball was in the rough, deep in the rough, and I was like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and finally I was like, and then and then I I crouched down and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not going to pick up this fucking ball because if I pick up the ball, that means. Like if, if I pick up the ball, that means that I'm saying there's no magic left that it's almost like, um, I mean, it's a terrible analogy and I apologize for anyone who might be offended, but it's like suicide. So I'm saying like, and I'm not drawing a real comparison. Like I don't care if anyone picks their ball up. I mean, but ultimately like, why would I pick up my ball if there's a group on the tee in front of me, et cetera? Like, like why would I just keep hitting it like a child who's just like, Oh fun. Like other holes over there, you know, like, so I did. And I just kept hitting this ball and I made like a 12 or an 11 or something. And I remember just feeling so goddamn proud. At least it wasn't a 14. At least it wasn't a 14. I mean, it wasn't at TBC Sawgrass the day after the players. This was at a little teensy little course in Scotland, but, but still, I mean, I relate completely. And I think that's, you know, when I look at golf on Instagram, there's like the the clown meme, you know, like putting on the clown nose when you like make the turn and buy like another dozen pro V's or whatever. Yeah. Like huh. we all completely relate. And what's cool about this is you have been 
somewhere that many, 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 many majority haven't ever been, both in life and in golf. So, yeah. I mean, I, in that that embarrassment and shame that I felt, every single golfer has felt it. You don't want to know why? Because we've all been asked to play through. And we've all yeah. topped the tee shot yeah. in front of four people and they've invited <laughs> us to play through and we all feel the shame. Yeah. And so everyone's felt it. Everyone just got to watch my feelings. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. You played through uh <laughs> you played through a medium sized European <laughs> city. <laughs> Very small size. Did you ever there's no way you did. Did you ever go through the YouTube comments? Yes. You did? I did. They're, they've got to be the most positive YouTube comments. Oh, dude, you're on the, the planet. fan favorite, man. So the majority of the comments were, and so one of my friends warned me, like, do not read the comments. And so I did, and I think I did like once on one video, and I saw enough. I saw some positive. And I saw a couple negative, basically saying, "Why is this fool out here? This, that, and the other." And I said, "You know what?" 90% good, 10% bad. Let's take our win and let's not read any more comments. And so, I mean, but I got a ton of positive like message on his own Instagram and stuff after say the, after the videos went live on Instagram and YouTube. And that's where, and like, kind of like I said earlier, like that day was about appreciation, appreciating them out there. Like, who, how many people, unless you're a corporate sponsor who's paying millions to the tournaments, how many people get to play a tournament the Monday after to the Sunday pin locations? Not many people get to do that. Yeah, you were part of a group of like 30. Yeah. Maybe 40. Yeah. And I mean... We, like, got, we got lucky. Yeah. It came up super last minute. I remember. I think I texted you on like Friday. Friday yeah. And I was like, can you be in Jacksonville on Sunday? And you were like, let me ask my wife. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so when you, and that's where it's like always appreciation. And so, yeah, I talked about 10, talked about the awfulness of 10. But on number four, I was also the only person to hit the green off the tee on the par three. That's right. Number four. I mean, of course, Joe and Tom, they parted as well. So I, it's not like I beat either one of them, but I hit the green. So I yeah. can take that. I love that, dude. Ben, I remember that. You you pulled up. Do you want to do you want to do comments, Jojo? Do you want to do? Let's do questions. Sure. Okay, cool. I mean, I, pull, I, I just started scrolling. I started watching the video. The comments are so heartwarming. Someone said, I'm literally cheering for Ben on 12. Yeah. 12 was, yeah, 12 was the, the 12 par. Was the bar, yeah. Yeah, 12 was the part on part four that, thank God, that rough was there in the left and that didn't go into the water. That, all, that first putt was awful, though. God, I left that first putt short. How fast are those fucking greens, man? They were lightning. They're, like, terrifying. They were lightning. You got some great ones. You got, Obviously, there's going to be a lot of food ones. And there's going to be Q&A time. We love a Q&A. First one's coming from... Uh, Wow, this isn't even a question. Just love. He was so great to watch. Well, thank you. Look at that. Um, we kind of just asked this, but uh, App Seedler asks, how did the breaking series change your outlook on golf? I don't think it necessarily changed my changed anything. It made me it it made me appreciate more of the like what you all do. 
and other people who do what you all do and just how hard it is to hit a, a shot on camera and the nerves that come with that. And it made me more appreciative for what I see in say golf media. I don't think it necessarily changed me because I've always, I've always been a pretty chill mellow golfer. I've never really cared what my score is that much. I mean, I, I keep a handicap just for like playing events, but I, n- I understand I'm never going to be a single digit golfer. So I'm not really chasing anything. Blue cheese or ranch ranch. Um, Very easy answer. What, um, what, uh, what are your thoughts on mid calf socks on the golf course? So I've actually been considering it. I don't know if I'm hip enough to wear them though. Really? I feel like you could do it. I feel like, so I've been, I've been thinking about like mid, mid calf. And I feel like if you're going mid calf, then you need to go shorter on the shorts. Uh, cause you can't go 100%. like 100%. Cause you can't go like knee length shorts and mid calf. Then you just look like dad. <laughs> you just need to wear pants. Yeah. <laughs> so I've actually been, I've actually been considering it and I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe that may be coming for, for this, this summer. Yeah. I think you could do it. You're right though. I, I agree with you. A, some people can do it. You know, this, it, it works for skinnier people. You know what I think helps too is I think if you have like white shorts, I didn't want to say it. Yeah. Why do you want to say it? I don't know. I just so I think the is like, like is that a racial thing? No, I just did. I just I don't know. <laughs> I'm just weird. I think the like the the white white or even like light lightish khaki. Yeah, yeah. I think like the white shorts with the white with the the white calf length. Yeah, is a really. You know what it is because I think um, I think I'm just too old. That's like a how, young. How old are you? Thirty three. But I feel like that's for like twenties. I think I feel like. Yeah, you could do it on the course. It's tough. The the thing is. You could do this, the shorts and long socks, any length shorts, especially yeah. if like, because I have a pair of like link sole shorts that like are like to the knee, they're yeah. a little baggy. And then, and then, you know, they're like a, they're like a light, light gray yeah. cotton. And then if you're wearing like Burks or slides, you could yeah. do whatever you want with the sock. Yeah. But yeah, once you got to put on a quote golf shoe yeah. with like the spikes, it does get a little weird. Yeah, you got to go shorter on the shorts. I think it's typically no sock. Yeah, I mean, unless you're totally on something else, some other shit. Have you broken 100 edit? Well, you haven't played a similar setup to the degree that you played, but have you broken 100 since? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I normally shoot, I normally shoot, say, high 80s to high 90s. That's my typical. What's the hardest course you've played since? Uh, Pinehurst, number four. Oh, sick. Never played again. That's the Gil Hans redesign. Yeah, I'll it's never good. play it again. How was it? It was very nice, but I don't get it. I don't get the. I just don't get it. It's it's very nice, but it was just I I don't know. I played Pioneer's number two as well, similar to Sawgrass. As soon as I got off the course, I went to go right back on again. Like as soon as I finished, I wanted to go play again. I just didn't get number four. Did you play the cradle? Yeah. Why is everyone asking you ranch or blue cheese? I don't know. More than one person. It's always ranch. Yeah, no, I got another Maybe one. blue cheese on a burger, but if we're t- I'm assuming they're talking about wings. Man, I want some wings. My mouth just started watering. Okay. What's your question, Chojo? You've been playing golf all day, you know, yep. you just had your long eighteen and you want to get dinner, kinda like Eric and I really want to do right now. Right now. Where do you go? So I, can I give a few? 
Yeah. Yes. If I want, if, so for like right now, if I don't want to take a shower or anything and I just want to go out, there's a couple places I would go. Uh, one would be a uh, high hat, um, which is a place in uptown new Orleans, very just traditional Southern food. Think of the, if Cracker Barrel was mom and pop owned. Oh my God. And the food was actually amazing and I handmade. That's what hi hat is. Uh, is it then, open right now? Sorry. Is it open right now? Yeah. Great. Yep. Uh, there's another place called Cushon Butcher. Wait, if I go to hi hat, will it exacerbate what's happening in my body with the beignets? Yes. The sugar and the flour? you won't uh, you won't be able to walk out. Right. Yeah. Fucking yellow. <laughs> Yolo. Uh, you only die once, you know. Might as well die here. Uh, there's a, there's a sandwich shop called Koshon Butcher that's extremely good. Okay. Uh, just next door to Koshon Butcher is the restaurant Koshon. It is one of my favorite restaurants in New Orleans. It is. We had our rehearsal dinner there at their private dining. Very Southern Cajun cuisine again. Um, let's say if you want to get a little bit nicer and go out, there's a couple restaurants. One is called Compare Le Pen. So if you watch, if anyone watches Top Chef, mm. they would recognize the name Nina Compton. Um, she's James Beard Award winner, and she cooks a combination of, say, Caribbean and Cajun style. Extremely good. And then there's a restaurant called Herb Saint. That is, I, I will continually say the best meal I've had in the past two years is at Herb Saint. Wow. And just wonder everything on the menu is good. And I always hate giving recommendations for food in New Orleans because there's there's 50 places sure. that are good. And I always forget somewhere. Uh, and so I always feel bad. Well, they all have such a unique story. They're also yeah. different. Depends on who you are. Yeah. On if what you time. want seafood, you go to GW Fins. Yeah. Best seafood that you can find. It's not. And so it's not traditional. Like what you would consider traditional, say, new orleans seafood but extremely good seafood because it all they get it all from within an, an hour of the city yeah for those of you that want to find ben uh first of all you can watch the breaking sawgrass series if you haven't seen it you'll fall in love with the way he looks at the game the way you talk about the game your excitement for it and um, I'm excited to hear your podcast. I didn't yeah. know you had one until today, so that's exciting. My food recommendations for visiting New Orleans are much better than my golf swing. For, so for anyone who is coming to New Orleans and would like more recommendations of places to eat, please um, feel free to DM me. I do this constantly, always recommending places for people to eat. I'm happy to do it. Um, so please, again, feel free to reach out with any questions. Anyway, have a great day, everybody. Thank you, JoJo. Thanks, Eric. Thank you so much, man. Thank you all for having me. All right, everybody. We'll see you over under the freeway. Bye.